Welcome back to Real Voices of the Game. I'm Dave D'Agostino, and I'm joined here by my co-host and star of this show, KFT. This is a date in October with KFT, episode 351 for the network. Before we get going with our show, just want to say thank you to two separate groups. Actually, I may add a third today because of that early piano music. But uh, first group is our audience, getting close to 60,000 subscribers. We appreciate your support. Write some nice comments after this show. Give us five stars because we battle the analytics of the podcast world just like they do in Major League Baseball. Second is to Blackout Coffee, our newest friend. Uh, They loved our vibe. They love baseball, and they love that we love coffee. So Blackout Coffee, their slogan is Be Awake, Not Woke. And they have given our audience 20% off at the register for any amount of coffee they want to purchase. And they said pass it out to all their friends. Um, so they're 20% off the purchase. If you type in capital D-A-V-I-D, so all caps, David, my first name, followed by the number 20, you get 20% off your first purchase, and then you'll get 15% off in perpetuity. So I love friends that love our vibe. I love friends that love baseball, love friends that love coffee, and love friends that give our friends discounts. So I want to thank them as well. And then you heard that uh, little piano rendition there. I want to thank Tanner and, and Peyton, my, our two middle children here. They did a little piano for a guest we had last night and they said hey can you play it for kelly this morning see what she thinks but we had ken levine on last night uh, producer writer for cheers so you're you're the back end of a double header for ken levine from cheers a show that we both watched as kids dave that sounded great so that was your kids playing yep yep they're uh they did some lessons early on uh, but part of our homeschool is self-teaching so they're uh they're very much into kind of understanding their own receptivity, their own patterns of learning, and then they all help each other. And of course, I have no musical background at all. I can't play an instrument, um, which I'm sure doesn't surprise anybody in our audience. So all of our kids play instruments, none of it taught by myself or my wife. A little bit of lessons, but most of it's self-taught. Well, somebody's doing a good job. It must just be them. They're doing good. Yeah, they, they take our learning strategies and styles and they apply it to pretty much anything. And they, uh, they're confident now they don't need uh, which I want them to be confident that they don't need others to teach them things uh, that they can learn whatever they want on their own. So uh, that's a, a great skill to have. So I'm, I'm happy they, they picked up music. So some, it's a, it's a skill set that I never got into. Um, but uh, I'm glad they enjoy it and we, we try to encourage it as much as possible. So thanks to them for Ken laughed. He loved it. And then uh, they said, well, play it for Kelly. So I'll tell, let them know you liked it as well. Thank you. Yeah. So we got, we got a full show today. Uh, I know we're going to cover, it's a kind of a free agency time. We're getting close to the winter meetings. Uh, They had the GM meetings last week. We're seeing free agent buzz all over the place. So kind of give our audience, if you're sitting down with your your legal pad and your your pen or your pencil, getting ready to take notes on this, we're going to get into the weeds a little bit with some some terminology, some structure, some, some, some focus. So you understand when these free agents are out there, it's not fantasy baseball. You can't say, well, why don't the Yankees just sign XYZ? It's not always that easy. So uh, Kelly's going to explain a little bit of that in our top of the first. Get into some practical free agents here, pitchers that we're seeing out there. And then, of course, we'll end it with uh, some good things to eat while we're watching watching the games here. So, But uh, I'll, let you, I'll let you kick it off with the – I have to get my, my – I have one legal dictionary and I have a thesaurus. I'm going to get those out ready before I start writing because I saw some of the show notes and a few words in there I didn't know what they meant. <laughs> That's great, Dave. Yeah, I'm going to show my lawyer stripes in the top of the first here. But what I wanted to do for our audience is talk about some of these terms that we hear at this time of year when we talk about the hot stove. 
because we hear a lot about options and we hear a lot about incentives and we hear about escalators. And I thought if we could go over them quickly, then all of us could understand these hot stove goings on a little bit better. So the, the first thing I wanted to talk about were options. So you have player options, club options, mutual options, and vesting options. The player option, you're hearing it all around this time of year. You'll hear, oh, you know, Michael Waka opted out of his contract or something like that. So the player option at the end of the contract is also called an opt-out. It's an optional year that is triggered at the player's choice. So he just decides to exercise the option. Um, and he can either stay on the team and take the guaranteed sum, or he can decline the option and test free agency. The club option is when the club gets to decide. It's exercised at the club's discretion. It usually comes with a buyout that the club has to pay if it declines the option. And the buyout is an interesting little contractual uh, tool because... If the buyout is sizable and the buyout is what the club has to pay to the player if the club does not exercise the option, but if the buyout is sizable, it's leverage for the player because a club might overpay to exercise an option rather than pay a big buyout and not have a player to show for it. So way back when the player signed this contract, if the player or the player's agent did a good job of negotiating a big buyout, that's actually a, a significant factor in whether or not a club exercises its club option on a player. And then you have the mutual option, which is when both the club and the player have to agree to exercise. And Dave, we don't see these exercised very often because usually if a player had a good season, he wants to test free agency. And if he didn't have a good season, the club doesn't want him back. So there are mutual options out there, but they're just not exercised very often. Yeah, it would take two sides. Uh, pro probably a, a guy having just a good enough year to peak interest and a team needing that skill set for at least another year or two to to have that mutual interest and the odds of both sides getting along to that degree, you got a better shot at seeing uh, Kumbaya in a kindergarten class than that happening. <laughs> so the, those are the, like the main kinds of options, but there are a couple of interesting ones uh, that I thought would really come into play, especially with Shohei Otani, who's going to be our first, when we get to the main segment, he's going to be the first free agent pitcher we talk about. Um, so there are vesting options, and that can also be called an incentive. And then there are also escalators. So the vesting option or incentive is an option that's guaranteed if the player achieves certain performance thresholds, something like plate appearances, um, starts for a starting pitcher. And these vesting options, if they're if the target is achieved by the player, then they get the extra bonus or whatever he's promised for achieving this vesting option. And the vesting option puts a lot of power in the hands of the manager because you probably already know this, but the vesting option can't be achieved if the player is not getting enough playing time. So a vesting option is an interesting way for a club to hedge against major injuries or performance issues 
and they become more common as a player ages. So if you have a player and you're not quite sure how he's going to perform, you might put in some vesting options or incentives in there. Is, is there anybody in our list? I don't want to get too far ahead, but anybody on our list that has that that's applicable of those nine or 10 that we listed? Well, I think that Shohei Otani is going to be the poster child for this incentive and these escalators. The escalator is like the incentive, except that it increases the player's base salary in a future year based on meeting certain criteria. For example, with Otani, you might see a situation where he is promised an escalator or an incentive if he can pitch because we don't know when he's going to pitch, right? And so a team is going to have to make just, and we can hop right into the main segment if you want, but um, a team is going to have to make kind of a rat's nest of escalators and incentives to craft that contract. Yeah, because his, his uh, yeah, and we, we don't have to go too fast, but I think that's an interesting point we want to hit on because Otani's contract is going to have to be very uh, complicated because we don't know what he's going to be able to do and how soon he's going to be able to do it and what he's going to become long term. And he's in line for one of those ultra long contracts out there. Yes, he is. He is. And you asked about other pitchers we might be looking at. I think maybe someone like Clayton Kershaw, who is probably going to go out there and maybe sign like a one-year deal. I mean, I kind of hope he stays with the Dodgers um, for a year or so, but he might be someone who would have vesting options in his deal because he had some injuries and he also he didn't have a great postseason. So there's a lot of uncertainty surrounding him. So we might see certain targets set for him and his contract. Yeah, and it's not, it's not uncommon nowadays. We're seeing a lot of those, you know, again, I these pitchers are not being allowed to throw deep into games. Four and a third is like the normal start now. So as as we see these free agent contracts unfold, I'm curious to see what the market value is for a lot of these guys because I liken it to the NFL running backs. At one time, the running backs were they were making mint money, and then over time, they got I think used and abused a little bit um, for a three four year period and just cast aside. Now the market value for running backs is is peanuts. I mean, you can get a get a good one, and they they do a by committee, so they've decreased their value by abusing uh, what they were doing. And I, I see pitchers going down the same route these $45 million a year contracts, I don't think it's going to happen anymore, or at least we're maybe one cycle away from it not happening. I think that you're right. I think that we're a little bit away from that happening, but that has got to be where we're headed because I don't see a way around that, Dave, because what you have are these dramatically shortened outings by starting pitchers, starting pitchers who for you know, since the beginning of baseball time, a good starting rotation has been the bedrock of a winning team. And so you see a market where teams pay up for starting pitchers. And now all of a sudden we have so many games being decided by middle relievers. Yeah, I wonder if the middle man is going to get paid a little bit more. But you're, I mean, you're an attorney by trade. Uh, think about if you had to go into a, a, an arbitration case and you had to defend a pitcher based on numbers alone. 
to say, well, Max Scherzer got, you know, $45 million a year, if that's his number, and kind of go hand in hand. And now you're, you're trying to argue with a guy that's thrown 122 innings, um, average start four and a third. Um, and, and really all they can argue with is max velocity and spin rate. And that doesn't have a dollar value. That's the part that if I'm a pitcher nowadays, I'm really bucking against that as my measuring stick because there's no dollar value out there to say, well, if I can spin the ball at this rate, at this axis, that means I'm going to be a $45 million a year pitcher. It doesn't. You've got to go deep in the game, strikeouts, all those those former indicators. So, I mean, as an attorney, thinking about it without, without emotion of a baseball fan, um, that, that would have to be your argument, right? You'd have to go point by point to convince the judge that your client deserves X amount of dollars. That would be the argument. And another argument I would make is availability. You know, this is actually an interesting offseason because we have oddly more pitchers available than position players. Um, but we do have 30 teams. And in a few years, we're going to be going to 32 teams. And so we're going to see the pitching pool diluted. And so I would say, you know what? Who are you going to get? Who are you going to get? You got to get my guy. Yeah, no, you're you're right with, with availability. I think Major League Baseball spent close to $650 million on injured pitchers this year. Um, so pitchers who couldn't even kind of take their, take their spot in the rotation, whether it's one week, one month, or the entire year. So a lot of money being spent on unused talent out there. So we'll see how it goes. I'm interested to see this off season. Cause I think it's going to, it's going to give us a bridge to the future for pitchers value. Yeah. I can't wait to see the numbers come down and that's a really great point, Dave. Yeah. So, um, did, did you get the, the, do you feel like our audience is educated enough? They've got the the precursors to some of the, the meat and potatoes we're going to get to with the main section with some of these, these uh, pictures you mentioned. I think so. And I hope if anyone has any questions, they'll reach out. Yeah, I know I'm going to, I've got notes I'm taking as we're doing this. So I'm, you're definitely going to get reached out, reach out by one with me. So and I'm going to charge you, Dave. I'm going <laughs> to charge you. That's all right. That's okay. Um, so who you want to, who do you want to start with? Is Otani our obvious Sure. Yeah. Look, he's the number one guy. Okay. And we already have discussed him anyway. So let's cross him off the list. He's 29 years old. He needs no introduction, right? Two-way star, but he won't be pitching probably until 2025 because he had this elbow surgery. So we're looking at a signing that will be incredibly large, monetarily speaking, a very large deal, but it's going to be a complex deal. So he is, I don't know, can, do we call him a generational talent? I mean, in some ways, I'm not sure that even covers it, but he is at least that, a unicorn, pick your word. But he is a great pitcher when he pitches, and he's an impact bat. So I don't know what you're thinking about his payday, but I'm seeing numbers um, of around $500 million, probably a range of 400 to $600 million. And like you said, we're looking at a long term, maybe 10 years. But I do think it's just going to be a spider's web of incentives and salary escalators and opt-outs to protect the signing club in the event that he doesn't return as a pitcher or he returns as a pitcher, but not like the pitcher he once was. Yeah, he certainly cut his value uh, by at least 40% with the arm injury. Because I I think he's a fantastic hitter. And if he's a guy that's going to play 150 games as a hitter, 
he's he's worth Aaron Judge type of money, without question. But if he's, I would look at him again in today's world of trying to maintain the pitchers. If I'm a club, I'm looking at him as my my DH part time outfielder, but my closer. That way he can DH and close the game. You still got you still got to keep him in the game as a hitter because he's he's closing. But yeah, I, I would use him as a DH and a closer, and that would preserve his body. Although it is kind of a waste of an athlete because he's a ridiculous athlete. Oh my God. Unbelievable. Yes. And judge got nine years, 360. So you mentioned him. So that's the bat alone. So on top of that, if he can come back as the pitcher, he was, it's extraordinary. I mean, you really have to wonder um, what kind of numbers we could see. And it's too bad about the elbow injury because it would have been fun to just kind of watch this thing get blown away. But don't forget when baseball renegotiated the uh, collective bargaining agreement in 2022, they made that special rule because of Otani and they call it the Shohei Otani rule, but it would apply to anyone who could both pitch and hit. But when Shohei starts a game as starting pitcher and he's the DH, if he comes out as the starting pitcher, he can stay in the game as the DH. Sure. Yeah, he can. Yeah, and that's uh, that's that's a good point too. And I, I I wish I I would love to see because I believe the human body, the human mind, is capable of great things. I would love to see somebody figure out a way to keep him healthy longer, playing 150 games a year. You know, being a I mean, he's certainly a number one starter, um, but I would love to see that work out because that could foster an entire next generation of two way athletes. I hope so, because it's really fun to watch. Oh, without, yeah, without question. He's got a sweet swing. He's got great mechanics. Um, it's just a lot on the body with it. So um, <clears throat> now, are you familiar with the, the other, uh, the, the, young, the young man, I call him young man, Yamamoto, the 5'10 righty pitcher from Japan? Do you count him as a free agent? I guess because he's posting, right? We've talked about posting before. Yeah, I do. And um, he is going to make a huge splash. He's really good. Yeah, he's righty. He's only going to be, he's 25 years old. That might be the age of next season because I think they count the age as of uh, June of the year. So June 2024. We saw him in the WBC. And now he's basically one of the top five pitchers eyed this offseason. Yeah, everybody's going after him. The big, the knock on him now. Um, and again, it's, it's an arbitrary knock. Everybody wants to comp somebody and he's five foot 10. Um, they're trying to look at five foot 10 starting pitchers, but we actually have, which is ironic. We have uh, Tom Gordon, Flash Gordon's going to be on one of our shows tomorrow. Five, nine, five, 10 pitcher, uh, had a nice career as a, as a major league player. So I think that's the biggest drawback. They're putting that arbitrary restriction on him because of his height. It's totally arbitrary. Um, and I'd like to point out that I'm five foot one. So everyone's tall to me. Yeah. And I understand what they're saying. There's a perception on the mound. There's perceived velocity based on height, based on reach. But the biggest stat that I'm worried about is outs. That's what a pitcher has to do. And it's funny how that gets lost nowadays. Right. And let me tell you last season with the Oryx Buffaloes, he had a 1.21 ERA. He was 16 and six. For those of us who still believe that winning a game matters, in and he pitched in 23 starts. He's got a variety of pitches. He has poise. He has smarts. 
So you know what? He might be 5'10", but I hope that he gets signed on the East Coast because I want to see this guy play. Yeah, we're see, we see the, Yan- the Yankees, of course, jumped out early in both Otani um, and Yamamoto. I think that, w- that would be interesting to see the two, the two of them on the same roster together. There's a third Japanese pitcher that's come into the mix. We can talk about him at the end, but he's a lefty as well. Not as high profile as Yamamoto, but uh, just as effective. But who, who do you want to go to next? You want to stick with, uh, do you want to stick with righties and go with Nola? I know he was at the top of your list. Well, you know, just kind of a little postscript on Yamamoto and Otani and um, Inandaga. Is that the other one that you wanted to talk about at the end? It was uh, just to talk about how these, you know, the Japanese pitchers that have pitched in MLB, like they're kind of on a hot streak. Kodai Senga did well for the Mets last year. Before that, we saw Tanaka. Um, obviously, Otani's great. So, you know, I think this is going pretty well. And it's interesting because the Japanese pitchers have adjustments they need to make when they come to MLB. They have a a different ball. They have to pitch on a five-day rotation instead of six. They, um, they have to travel more because the country's obviously a lot bigger geographically. So there are always questions about adjustments, but so far things are going well. I, I find it strange. And I've, I've, I've taken a look into this offseason. I'm actually looking at the Japanese baseball development system all the way around. And we're just finishing up some of the, the hitting stuff with Sadahara Oh, It's got a lot of Aikido in it, um, that martial art in terms of his hitting and his flamenco style. But we started looking pitching just this past week. And it's I'm amazed at how they don't get hurt in Japan. They get hurt when they come over here and they work in our style. You get guys like you, Darvish. We, we, uh, you, you talked about a lot of the good Japanese pitchers. But when they come here, they get hurt. And I'm wondering, I'm hoping to find out, what is the disconnect between how they train? Because they're not, being, they're not on a pitch count over there. They're not throwing 75 pitches and getting yanked after four. Um, they're They're – old old school style like we used to do here where they're throwing deep in the games. It's an honor thing. Their mechanics are flawless. And I found out too, they, they throw bullpens, um, not all of them, but um, a good majority of them will throw bullpens with their weak hand. So really? they will throw a bullpen with their right hand if they're righty. Um, who, who, you mentioned the guy that used, that was with the Yankees. Um, Tanaka. Tanaka. Tanaka did it. And so does Hugh Darvish. They both throw bullpens. Uh, left-handed. They throw them right-handed too, but they'll throw a bullpen session left-handed and it's for body balance. Um, because I think that's why a lot of pitchers get hurt just like anything else we do. If you're, if you work on only, you know, well, as people have knee injuries, they go forwards all day long. They never work on going backwards. So you have a body imbalance. So I think they're, they're, they're ahead of the curve in a lot of stuff, but I'd love to see some of them come over and just stay healthy. That is really fascinating about throwing with their other arm in the bullpens. And about the pitch count, Yamamoto, in his last start for the Buffaloes, pitched 138 pitches. That's two games for our guys over here. (laughs) So, but um, yeah, so no, I'm I'm excited to see him. I hope, you know, somebody's going to look smart. He's going to get outs. uh, And and I do like the other, the other kid too. Amanaga, I think if I'm mispronouncing it, Shota. Imanaga, am I saying that right? I your guess is as good as mine, but yeah, I've pegged him. He's with the Yokohama Bay Stars, yeah, and he's a lefty as well. Yeah, good. He's a he's a good lefty pitcher. A little different style, but um, 
Yeah, I, I, he's, I think he's being earmarked as a 3-4 guy in a rotation, uh, which is great. You know, they, they could use 3-4 guys that can eat up innings like that. So, well, what about uh, Aaron Nola? We, we, I, we had a lot of buzz around here this morning, actually, about Aaron Nola. There's a couple of clubs that came out of the woodwork and are really pursuing him hard. Um, the Braves and the Cardinals are seen to be the front runners in him. But give us a little bit on, on Aaron. Yeah, I think the Cardinals need pitching. I they're going to I think they're going to be out there on almost all these guys trying to get someone. But Noah is a free agent off the Phillies as we know, and he could resign with the Phillies. Um I know Rob Thompson has said very favorable things about him. He had an up and down year, but he was good in the postseason. And Dave, he's a workhorse. Has provided at least 180 innings in the last five seasons. And his last missed start due to injury, this blew me away. May 2017. Last time he missed a start because of an injury. Yeah. He's, uh, what was he? He was a 2014 draft pick. And what's it, 235 starts over the last nine seasons. And I'm reading this. He's 30. Um, but since 18, 2018, he ranks number one in the majors in starts, 175 starts, which is what you want in your number one. And he's a close second in innings. We all know Garrett Cole is an innings eater. Uh, Noah's right behind him in terms of innings during that same time frame. So that's the kind of guy he is. I don't think he gets the respect that Cole gets, but I, I love Noah's game. I think he's, I think he's a, uh, a number one guy for anybody who grabs him. Yeah, it'll be interesting to see where he lands. I think the Dodgers... The Dodgers also need pitching. They're kind of going to be in on all these guys, too. Yeah. I didn't ask you, where do you think that uh, Otani is going to wind up? His is all over the place. Every time I see another team mentioned in the press, I cross it off the list because it's uh, a lot of times these agents are floating things out there the best they can. But the the Yankees have, have uh, taken a lot of heat in the offseason for their, their, I guess, less than adequate year, 82 and 80, I think they were and their lack of aggressiveness with free agents. So they've thrown their hat in the ring to get him. Initially, I think he said he didn't want to be on the East Coast, but uh, I could see Seattle. If I were going to, going to pick a, an outlier out there, someone who's not mentioned a lot, Seattle could be a, uh, a nice grab for him. But I also could see, again, Texas spent over a billion dollars on players, but uh, I could see them continuing to spend. But I'll, I'll throw a third team out there, rival team. Arizona's got the money. I mean, they have the lowest payroll in Major League Baseball right now, and they've got the money to spend. So it's another possibility that Diamondbacks could, because he wants to win. Um, Arizona's proven they can win with with inexpensive young talent, and you know. So if I were to rank them in order, I, I'd go. I think Arizona's the front runner. Seattle number two, and I think uh, Texas could just, you know, they've already decided they're going to spend. They might as well go one more and hold their reign at the top. Yeah, and it worked for Texas. But wouldn't that be interesting if the D-backs had Zach Gallen, Merrill Kelly, and Otani? I mean, obviously, it wouldn't be that order. They'd probably, eventually, if Otani came back full strength, maybe he takes the number one slot. But that would be quite a rotation. Yeah, well, the, the D-backs, they, they, they've got a, a nice little model they're doing. And I'm wondering how many people are going to try to mimic it. They, they play baseball. I hate using the word old-fashioned. They play baseball. Um, a way that I like to watch. They move the ball around, they bunt the ball, they hit and run out. When they're in the field, they're, they're hitting cutoff men. They're very organized. They run the base as well. Uh, I, I like the way they've done it and they proved you can win that way. Texas did the same thing. They spent a lot more money, but, um, 
but I, I would love to see him go to Arizona. It's a, a another small market club, uh, kind of like Tampa's done, who's not spending a lot of money, who's playing good fundamental baseball, and maybe that'll set a new model for Major League Baseball. I hope so, because it's fun to watch good old-fashioned hustle. Yep, that's it. And, uh, and they... They got rewarded for it. So what about the uh, the big lefties? We've got a couple big lefties, Blake Snell and Jordan Montgomery. Oh, yeah. Boy, Montgomery. Obviously, member of the world champion Rangers, but uh, Yankee fans still have broken hearts from having lost him at the trade deadline last year um, to the Cardinals. And then, of course, he went to Texas. Uh, he raked in the postseason, and he is going to get a good contract, and he deserves it. He's quietly become one of baseball's most effective and durable starters. Yeah, and he wants to come home. He's, he's been very vocal about wanting to come back to New York. So I don't see anything preventing that other than New York not wanting to open up the pocketbook. But a uh, front line of, um, of Cole, Montgomery, and who is there? Who would be their third? Uh, Nestor. Nestor or Radone, if he's healthy. I mean, they, they spend a lot of money, too, to, for guys not to pitch. So in on paper, they've got a nice rotation. But bringing Montgomery back into the mix, him and Cole would be nice. You know, you look at two guys that could throw 200 innings for you. That's what you need to, to win. Right. And as a lefty, you know, you face a lot of lefties in Yankee Stadium. So that would be a good place for him. Yankee fans would like him back. But then I can't help but think that uh, if the Mets or the Red Sox signed him, the Yankee fans would go insane. Yeah, yeah, it would, it would definitely give them a target to be insane. They go crazy every morning when they wake up, but they would uh, certainly be targeted. I, I don't think Cashman can let this one get get away. He already gave it away once. To get it back would be a little bit strategic because he did get pieces for Montgomery, but um, you know, to get him back would be phenomenal. I, I'm, I'm putting my money on Montgomery back in New York. And then Snell, I can't figure out. He, he's been productive, but um, he's not the same type of workhorse you would say Montgomery is. He had an instance where he's been, he's been taken out of games early. He's okay with it. Um, but he, I mean, his number, his stat line is crazy. He's, he's a 152, I mean, 152 batting average against him with runners in scoring position and a 1.2 ERA over his last 23 starts. So, um, you know, and he's been a Cy Young finalist as well. Um, he's just one of two pitchers uh, that have been Cy Young finalists. Um, and there's, there's a good chance that that could bump his free agency up to Montgomery Nola numbers. Yeah, it was interesting. When I was looking at Blake Snell, I um, made a really bad pun in my head. And so to torture all our listeners, I will share it with them. He has redefined the word walk year. Yeah, right. He gave up a lot of walks. 99. Led the league in walks last season. Yep, 99 walks last year. So. And sorry, but like you just said, you know, he rarely stays out past the sixth inning. And I think that's because he goes to so many full counts that they just yank him by the time he starts flirting with the sixth inning. No, you're, you're right. I, 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 and this is the word that gets all coaches in tr- trouble. And I guess in professional sports, the GMs, there's so much potential there and potential. I used to joke about that should be a four letter word. It's a, it's a bad word and it gets you in trouble every time. So, um, I'd love to see him get turned loose for the next three years. Somebody spend the money, turn that lefty loose and just let him go. To me, that's a great sign for Boston. Um, mm-hmm. frontline starter, he stays in a familiar uh, league with the AL East. 
and uh, and they they need some help all over the place. I wouldn't like to see them go there because I rarely root for Boston, um, but I think baseball is better when the Yankees in Boston are good. It is. It's so much better. And I have this um, theory that it would be great if we could just do the hot stove by time zone because I get to see the East Coast teams play most often. So I'd like all the good players to sign on the East Coast and the West Coast can have all the bad players. Yeah, right. That's that's the new definition of East Coast bias right there. Right. (laughs) We're redefining the language today with um, walk year and East Coast bias. What what about... um, Sonny Gray, kind of unassuming. He spent time in New York, had a great time in Oakland, awful experience in New York. I think they messed with his pitching, sequencing. Um, and he's back in Minnesota, was back in Minnesota. I thought had a really good year this year for Minnesota. Um, what's your thoughts on him? He's also 5'10", just like Yamamoto. Yep. Yeah, he's not glamorous, but he's established. And he did not do well in New York. But he had a good year last year. Um, He pitched 184 innings. He had his best year at age 33. Um, So I think that he's going to get some ink this offseason. I don't know. He's not going to wind up in New York, though. I think he'll probably stick with the small market, maybe uh, Twins, Rockies, or who knows, maybe a fan-friendly place like the Cardinals might be a good fit for him. Yeah, I like that because, you know, Colorado would probably scare him. He's he's one of the – and this is he struggled with this in New York, but he only gave up eight home runs last year in 184 innings, and that's that's the, the best number in Major League Baseball. And this is a time where offenses are thriving. They're saying the ball is juiced. Um, you know, the ninth batter is hitting home runs, just reaching out, you know, one-handed swinging. And Gray's another guy like we talked about. He takes the ball every, every four or five days, 32 starts this year. Uh, he had a 2.79 ERA. I believe in ERA still. Um, and, uh, I, you know, ER, there's an ERA plus as well. We can explain that to the audience in the show notes. But it was the second best full season marks in his career this year with that. So he's at, he's he just turned 34, I think, last week. And um, he's uh, he's still moving forward in his career. Second best stat line of his career with Minnesota. That's great. And yeah, good point about the Rockies. When you think about it, you got to wonder how the Rockies ever get any pitchers to come and pitch there. Yeah, it's it's, it's a it's a tough, uh, but you know, they, they play half the games, they're half on the road. Um, same thing with the hitters. They all say their stats are inflated because they're there, but they're playing half their year on the road and most, most of the stats kind of even out. But um, regardless, I like Sonny Gray. I think he's another stabilizer. Again, I don't know why you said Cardinals. To me, that felt I felt like the the world had meaning again because he's he's to me seems like a cardinal um, as well. Wondering if he will go back to Minnesota, also, but because uh, they 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 were a, they were just a a notch away this year, thinking they could they could make another run if they're willing to spend some money on him. Now there's another guy we didn't have him on our list, but Marcus Marcus Stroman, another small pitcher in terms of stature, five nine five ten. Um, you know, he, he's going to be on the market as well this year. Kind of one of those middle guys at that three, maybe a four starter for a club. But it just kind of gives more credence to teams that are not uh, willing to pay the money for Yamamoto uh, because because of his height. So Yeah, are, Marcus uh, opted out of the Cubs, so he's out there too. Yeah, yep. Um, with the new new Cub manager with Craig Council, who knows? Uh, they, may, they may go buy him some talent because I don't think he – I don't think he would have taken that job, especially with coming from the pitching staff that he had at one time with Milwaukee, if they weren't going to go buy him some pitching. They do have some good young players. Bellinger opted out. 
So he'll be a free agent this year. Uh, you know, I, I do like some of their young talent, but they're going to have to go get him some players and start with pitching for him to be happy. And he should be happy anyway with $8 million a year. But, um, but what about the big lefty out in, in L.A., Kershaw? Uh, yeah, I got a soft spot for Kershaw. He's a future Hall of Famer. Um, he's obviously been limited over the past three years due to injuries, um, throwing about 120 to 130 innings per season. His health is a big issue, um, but he had a good regular season this year, and then he got shelled in the playoffs, and it's not the first time um, that's happened. But, hey, you know what? He's a great pitcher, and I can't say a bad thing about him. He'll probably look for um, either a one-year deal somewhere, maybe stays with the Roger, uh, the Dodgers, or I thought – that he could maybe do a one-year deal with the Rangers because that would be his hometown, as I understand it, or he just retires. I think, yeah, I don't think he will retire. I think, well, see, if he was, if he had, a, if he was going to pitch a full season, I think he could command. Because I, we tried to do a ranking. Tanner and I will come out with a ranking later this week of the top ten free agent pitchers. I had him ranked tenth, and I, if he was wasn't injured, I'd have him ranked in the top four. He's, uh, you know, he take he when he's healthy, obviously. He'll take the ball and go deep into games. He does not want to come out. He keeps that ERA down there. He could be very helpful to a young pitching staff at the age of 36. He's a warrior, but you said the magic word, Texas. I, I know I threw out there that Otani, Texas, but I think I, I could see Kershaw going to Texas. Mm-hmm. I think that's a good – that's a another veteran guy when when their other, their other two get healthy. Uh, imagine facing that trio, a healthy trio in Texas – uh, in, in the postseason next year. So I, I'm I'm putting money on Kershaw to the Rangers. All right. Wow. There we go. We we, you know, in, in the era of shortened pitching starts, though, we talked about relievers a little bit, maybe improving their value. We do have Josh Hader out there, big lefty, uh, was with Milwaukee for his entire career before getting moved there. But uh, what, what, do you, what are your thoughts on Hader? Yeah, lefty closer. Um, he did have a bad few months in 2022 with the Brewers, and then they traded him to the Padres, but then he got good again. And generally speaking, he has been dominant outside of that bad 2022 stretch. So you have to wonder what his future holds. I would uh, think that he would get the kind of money, close to the kind of money that Diaz got with the Mets. Um, that was five years, $102 million. I would think Hader would be in that territory. How about you? Yeah, no question. He's he, they all go through a stretch, you know, where they're because the the relievers are out there going max velocity for, and again the old relievers like Goose Gossage, uh, you know, the, he would go two three innings sometimes. The our relievers nowadays an inning is about max for them, but Hader's still one of the best in the business, and all relievers go through hiccups. The best thing about him is he has short term memory. You got to have that. A powerful fastball, um, and I, I don't think there's there aren't the, the the reliever is so important now. I guess I'll just leave it at that with the way the game is being played nowadays. So I think Hader's going to probably eclipse Diaz in terms of salary. Ah, okay. At least and, annual salary, I'll say. Yeah, um, and you think he'll get five years somewhere? I have him down as twenty nine years old. Yeah, he's 29. See, a lot of these pitchers now, right around that age, uh, you know, we talked about uh, Snell is getting up there. We talked about Montgomery. There's another pitcher that's on uh, on our list, uh, 
that, that Tan and I put together, Eduardo Rodriguez, Detroit Tiger, he just turned 30. So it seems to be the magic age where these agents are uh, trying to tip the scales with, with the contract. So I could see him getting four with an option uh, for the fifth, whether that's player option, team option, that's not up to me. It's his agent. He's got to wiggle and waggle that depending on his confidence in his client. But uh, yeah, I, 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 Hater's a home run to me. He's a uh, proven closer. And anybody that gets him, you can basically just shut down the ninth for him. I think he's the, I think he's tops in the game right now, he, and even in spite of his his little hiccup there. Yeah, bullpens are just so important, especially when you get to the postseason. Yeah, no question, because the games get shortened there a little bit, and you know, if you get a guy and guys in postseason, they're not going to go two in the regular season. But when you get to postseason, some of these better closers, they're not afraid to get out there and throw, throw two for your team or come, come in back to back to back days, which you won't see a lot in the regular season as well. For sure. Yeah. Anybody else on the list? Did we miss anybody? I think those were, you know, my top billing for pitchers, this free agent class. And I love the hot stove. You know, I think especially if your team didn't do well in the season prior you especially like the hot stove because you're all geared up. Like, how are we going to make it better? Yeah. And who, and who is your team? I don't think I've ever asked you. Are you a Yankee fan? I, I'm born Yankees, married Mets, Dave. Um, so this is kind of how it goes. Yeah, I grew up being a Yankee fan. And I am happily married for 26 years now. And my husband, Tom, is a Mets fan. And as it goes, I am actually a bigger baseball fan than my husband. And so to get him to watch baseball, I would always say, well, we can watch the Mets. We can watch the Mets. And so lo and behold, it turns out I love watching the Mets. First of all, they have a fantastic booth. Um, Gary, Keith, and Ron are so good in that booth. They teach me something every time I listen to them. And that is, in my book, a huge compliment because I want to learn. And they always teach me something about the game. And I also like watching the Mets because they're kind of a quirky, streaky team. And they've always had that personality for as long as I've been alive. Uh, So I just enjoy watching them. Yeah, I I like Keith Hernandez as well. And the booth darling is really good too with with pitching explanation with um, So with those two teams there, you've got that. We we talked about 10, uh, 10 pitching free agents. Who would be on your wish list for the Yankees realistically? And what about the Mets? I think realistically, Yamamoto, there could be a big fight between the Yankees and the Mets for Yamamoto. I mean, we saw Cashman fly over there and watch the guy pitch a no-hitter. So he is clearly interested. Um, And, you know, as it goes in these off-seasons, the Yankees historically, if they've had their eye on a big free agent, they kind of usually get their guy. Um, but on the other hand, now Steve Cohen owns the Mets. So that's going to be some real competition for Yamamoto, as there should be. He's so good. Um, so hopefully he winds up in at least one on at least one of those two clubs, because I want to watch him every five nights. Either way, your house will be happy if he, if he, if he lands there with your prediction. Anybody, and I know Montgomery, we talked about probably going to the Yanks. Anybody else you see coming to the Yanks or the Mets? I don't think so. I mean, I'd love to say Otani, but my personal opinion is maybe the Mets have a chance. 
Um, seems like you thought he had more of a chance to go into the Yankees. I, for Otani, I had in this order, Rangers, Mariners, Dodgers, Mets. That was my prediction in order for Otani. Yeah, boy, the Rangers are spending without question. So we were both the same on the Rangers. I, 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 and again, I don't know if the D-backs will open up the, the pocketbook at all for this, but they certainly have the money to do it. I'd love to see them take a shot, feel that hurt from not winning this year and see Otani as maybe one of the answers to push him over. Although that would take them away from their model, which um, we kind of hope they, they don't abandon too much too early. So, well, good deal. Well, um, what, what do you, we get to our last segment here? If you're ready to move on to that with what, what's good to eat? What are we, what are we eating these days? Well, um, yes, normally it's what's good to eat while watching a ball game. But as you know, we're going to have to improvise a little bit here over the um, off season. And it's still the hot stove. Um, and of course, next week's Thanksgiving, Dave. So we have to have a Thanksgiving episode because there's a lot to be thankful for. And I go to my brother Tom's house for Thanksgiving. Um, we call him Tommy. And so Tommy makes the best turkey. And the reason why it's so good, I think, is because of his preparation. He he spatch the, the the turkey is what he's called spatchcocked. I don't know if you know that term, but it's when it's kind of cut down the middle and you lay it flat. No, I never heard of that before. Yeah, and what that does, because he eventually he cooks it on the big green egg, it creates kind of more surface area. So that skin can really spread out and get crispy. I mean, he brines it, he rubs it in butter and some spices, and then he grills it on his big green egg. And the skin gets so crispy, Dave, it's like a potato chip. And this is important because the best thing about my brother Tommy is he lets his three sisters steal the skin as he carves that turkey. And that is what good brothers do. Yeah, no, I, that's that's a favorite in our house too. The skin with that, so good for him for doing that. He does the cooking. Does he do stuffing in or stuffing out? He does a stuffing in, and then some other. My sister Katie makes delicious stuffing, and my brother Chris also makes a delicious oyster stuffing. So they bring those on the side. That sounds good. Sounds good. Well, yeah, good. are you? Do you do a turkey? We you do. We do. We, we I do. I cook now. No, <laughs> we, uh, we, uh, it's kind of a collaborative effort this year. I think our daughter Peyton, who is 12 is going to take on leadership role with the cooking. That's kind of one of the things she does for homeschool and she's getting very sophisticated with it. So she's asked to take on the role of Turkey. She's going to make two pies. Um, and I think the, uh, our, our other children are kind of figuring out ways they can help and support her with it. And then they're obviously giving their suggestions as to what they want. And then we have, uh, my in-laws just moved here a few months back, so we'll have them over here. They live right around the corner now. And then my mom always flies in for Thanksgiving time and stays a few weeks down here. We get very popular when it gets cold up north. We're like the Holiday Inn down here. We get popular from October until about end of April, and then uh, we don't hear from people until August when it's beach time and then uh, in between. But, yeah, I think every, it's, we've got to figure that out this week. It's, we've got It's a little different ambiance. Uh, with uh, my in-laws here now, my mom coming down, Peyton taking over uh, the charge with it. But of course, my, my wife and I just don't turn her loose in there. We'll be overseeing for all those uh, people out there that think we're banning our children with this. But uh, yeah, we're, we're trying to figure that out this week. We've got a, a larger clan this year at Thanksgiving and trying to take inventory of what everybody wants. So but I know we'll have, the, obviously, the pumpkin pies, the apple pies are staple 
Um, I'm voting for pecan. I like pecan pie and a uh, big fan of mashed potatoes. doesn't matter what holiday it is, but I always push for more mashed potatoes on Thanksgiving. So we'll probably have to cook a couple turkeys though with the number of people. I got to say, every time every time you talk about the projects that your kids do in homeschool, I am completely blown away. They are so cool. It's good child labor, too, by the way, for people free. that are- Yeah, it's of, free, yeah. You know, but uh, yeah, so that, that'll be ours. We're still figuring that out this week. And uh, in fact, the kids were doing that right before I came in on the podcast. And to our audience, too, I've had a bunch of people think that you, or I, you and I are in the same room because apparently our banter is smooth. So you have that, that going for you. They said, are you guys in the same studio when you're doing the podcast? And I said, no, no, she's a thousand miles away in another room and we're, we're doing it off our computers here. So to those audience members that think um, I'm not telling the truth here, you can verify that. We are not in the studio together. We're a million miles away. And in fact, we've never met in person. That is correct. And I'm actually really flattered by that comment. That makes me really happy. And one of these days we are going to meet. Are you... Are you going to be down at the winter meetings? Because I'm going to be down there. Yeah, not not sure yet. Still trying to figure it out. We've got some uh, with holiday plans. And then we do a scholarship program for kids called one-on-one. We help kids navigate the recruiting process. And this is busy time now. We had 52 kids sign last week, uh, full scholarships. Uh, this was in basketball. And then we have uh, our baseball kids coming up now. So it depends on how smoothly that goes because it takes a lot of the you know, it takes a lot of time over the two to three years we're with them, but the crunch time uh, is when, you know, they're down to that final decisions and we, we've got to be present for them. So we have about, I think we have about 20, 22 baseball kids that are, that are about to sign. So, um, so yeah, it depends on that. If, if we get it done, uh, I'll probably take a drive down there with uh, my, my wife, Allison and Tanner, because they have a, a catch calm down there. They call it where they do kind of catching instruction some of the, the top catching coaches in the, in the country do a little get together down there and, and run a symposium right before the winter meetings in Nashville. So, uh, Tanner got invited, Tanner and I did. So, uh, we may, we may try to do both if we can get the scholarship done stuff done in time. Wow. Well, I hope it works out, but the scholarship work sounds just tremendous and you are obviously really guiding these young people to hopefully bright futures. Well, so we've done 700 in the last four years, a little over 700 scholarships for kids. And it, there's such a misnomer about the process out there. And it goes to the stuff we talk about on the network, choosing, it's really choosing your coach, whether it's a pitching coach, hitting coach, shooting coach, strength and conditioning coach. Um, there's a way for a parent to learn how to select the right one. And then recruiting in general is just insane. It's like the wild west nowadays. So because I've been on all sides, I've been the recruited athlete for two sports, so I made twice as many mistakes. Um, I've been the, 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 the youth coach. I've been the college coach for, for a couple decades. And now I'm kind of at that, I'm on the parent side of it as well. And I'm on that 10,000 foot view now. So I tell the families, you know, just like any other line of work, um, I've made every mistake possible. I've been a part of every mistake possible. So I just know it better. I just make sure you don't repeat it and you turn them into principles and help other people out. So, um, so it's been successful, 100% placement rate right now. We've been able to get everybody a spot. And the idea is for kids, um, really the underlying purpose, kids have to learn how to feel valued, learn what it's like to feel valued. And once they learn what it's like to feel valued for who they are, decisions are easy. Um, but getting to that point is the trick. 
That's awesome. It's so much more than baseball. That's just oh, great. Man. Doesn't matter the ball. We do baseball, basketball. But yeah, it's it's that's the, and I tell them I said it's the same way you're going to pick your friends. You should. It's the same way you're going to pick your significant other, your spouse someday. Um, you know, you, you've got to learn what it likes, what it's like when someone values you. So once you learn it, you'll never turn back. That's that's my my pitch to them, though. But uh, how do we want to leave our audience? So we got Thanksgiving coming up next week. We're we're probably going to take a little bit of time off as a network, but I've got to decide that by the end of the week. But how would you like to leave our audience today? Oh, well, I hope they uh, tune in to my Twitter and Instagram handle at three inning fan, all one word, because we'll have a new video dropping on Friday about two of the Japanese stars we talked about today and the third one, which will be a surprise. They have to tune in. I like that. I love the baseball over there. I encourage everybody to follow, follow Kelly on social media. I'm now, I forgot the other day, but I'm now tagging three inning fan LLC, so I, uh, for some reason I had a glitch in that early on, but I forgot to do it the other day. I'll continue to do that. So make sure you follow her. It's great, great, uh, bits of information. It's, it's very, uh, it's short, but it's packed with, with great nuggets and it'll help get you through this hot stove time with baseball. I'm sure I'm looking forward to hearing who the third Japanese player is as well. So, but with that, uh, audience, thanks so much. Closing in on 60,000. Appreciate your support. You know what to do after the show. Keep us bad on those analytics. And to Blackout Coffee, be awake, not woke. Uh, 20% off at checkout. If you put David, all capital letters, with the number 20 after it, you'll get 20% off your first purchase. Pass it out to friends. We don't care. Um, they don't care either. And then um, after that, 15% in perpetuity. So appreciate that. And uh, with that, we'll we'll uh, listen to the Ken Levine show before this one. It's a, it's a great episode if you missed it. Um, different take on sports. He was also a play-by-play guy, which I didn't know um, as well. So Kelly, thanks so much for your, your show today and have a happy Thanksgiving next week. You too, Dave. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you.